The Cal Halbert Podcast. Hello, everybody. Thank you for downloading and listening to this week's episode of the Cal Halbert Podcast. My guest this week is Kirsten O'Brien. You'll best know Kirsten from TV shows like Smart and CBBC and Smartinis, and uh, she did the uh, competitions on ITV for a long time. She's been on Total Wipeout, and oh, she's done loads of things. You'll She's so funny, and we actually started talking about football because um, she's a big football fan as well. But before we go any further, I want to let you know about something. I'll be appearing in Beauty and the Beast this Christmas at Stanley Civic Hall, and that runs from the 15th until the 24th of December 2021. It's a fun-filled family panto with dazzling costumes, hilarious comedy, and amazing special effects. It's produced by Reese Sibbald Productions at Stanley Civic Hall with a panto tale as old as time. For more info and to book your tickets you can go to www.stanleypanto.co.uk or call the box office on 01207 299 it'd be great to see you there the cal halbert podcast well i'm very pleased to say that on the podcast today the cal halbert podcast i've got the one the only the fabulous the glorious the stupendous kirsten o'brien hi kirsten I thought you were going to say the stupid. That's the last part of that then. The stupid. Kirsten O'Brien. I thought, oh, that would rank alongside my other weird intro once on a BBC Three show where I was on a panel show and I was introduced as, this is Kirsten O'Brien. She likes playing tennis and has asthma. (laughs) Someone's just been on Wikipedia and no further. (laughs) Plays tennis and has asthma. Well, there's worse things to do. Oh, well, if you are, I'm a big tennis fan. Have have you been watching Wimbledon? You know, I haven't. I like all things in life. I just come to everything now via social media. So I know about Emma Raducanu and various pronunciations of her name. Raducanu, Raducanu, all of that. I know what Piers Morgan thinks about that, what uh, everybody in the world thinks about that. But as to actually physically watching it myself, I will be watching the football. Yes. I got lured in. I sort of started though. I was like, no, I'm not bothered about this. And then it was the England Germany game. Yeah. I'd had the kids at Peppa Pig World, oh. and we listened. Oh, it was a great day. Was uh, we <laughs> on the way home in the car, and I came through the door, and my husband was sitting playing Uno with my nine-year-old son. <laughs> Telly's off, silence. I was like, what? Are you- Get the telly on and get me a beer. There was such a role reversal in our house. It was ridiculous. So, I, um, yeah, I got sucked in. I remember watching the, the Germany game just about. Just about remember watching. I had to re-watch the highlights because, again, I remember us winning and then that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> I was, like, shouting at my nine-year-old, this is so important, this is so important. We ended up all having our tea on our laps, which is an absolute no-no in our house. Yeah. We've always said we've got a table, we won't be that family. And then I was like, they started having an argument over chicken and I was like, I'm off and tea on lap. And one by one, all three kids just drifted over like, Mum's letting us have tea on our lap. <laughs> we're all there with their plates. Like, this is a big deal, everyone. <laughs> That's what counts for a treat in my gap. <laughs> we must tell the listener, actually, we are recording this uh, on the morning of the England semi-final. We've got Denmark. So I know you're a big football fan. You're a big Middlesbrough fan. And I know yep. you try and get your Middlesbrough shirt on TV as often as you can. So can I get your thoughts on the England game this evening which way do you think it's going to go I'm going to be really tense uh, because I think Denmark as a team they they're really hungry for it and I also I think 
I think all of us that have never really seen our team win big always have that thing of they'll mess it up. Yeah. They'll, at every stage, don't we? They'll mess it up. They'll mess it up. <laughs> But then that last game, the Ukraine game, it was like, oh my, who are these guys? Yeah. Flipping heck, yeah. we are on it. So if those guys trot out tonight, dare I, I think also it's just really un-British to say, yeah, we've got this, we're going to win. Yeah. It doesn't feel right in our bodies, does it? To yeah. say, that? yeah, we've got now, we've got this, we're cool, got we're going to win. Yeah. It was, um, yeah, going back to like the tennis thing, it was a bit weird, Andy Murray winning something because we're, Tim Hemman was the epitome of British sport, just nearly there, you know, just <laughs> nearly there. Yeah. So when Andy Murray wins, we're going, what on earth's going on here? This is, we're not used yeah. to this. <laughs> no, we had, my husband had a do planned on Saturday. Um, there was a belated birthday party and so we had 18 people over we were within the rules cal um, <laughs> we had uh, a marquee out not a marquee god i picked it up not a bar- marquee not a marquee uh, a gazebo <laughs> not a marquee <laughs> a gazebo with a projector in it anyway as everybody came round i pulled the telly like on its big you know arc that you can get your tellies on a big arm so some people could watch there. And it turned out the telly was two minutes ahead of the gazebo. <laughs> so that first goal, everyone cheered. And me and my mates sat around the corner were like, what, what, what? They all cheer? And two minutes later, we went, oh! <laughs> <laughs> Did, I had a very similar thing. I had a very similar... I was doing a gig in Sunderland because that's how well my career's going at the moment. And I was doing a gig there and they didn't have any of the tellies on. I was like, but but we're in the quarterfinals, we need to play this. So I put it on my laptop, and if you stream anything, it's always slightly behind anyway. So I'm watching this, and I heard this huge cheer because all the pubs around it had it on, and I was going, oh, oh, and I'm staring staring at it, and then I can't remember who went down, and I, someone went down in the box, and I think, ah, oh, they're just cheering for the, for the call for the penalty. And then we scored, and I went... Oh, no, 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 we did, we did, it's good, it's good, we're all right. <laughs> yeah, but then, you know, people say, they're saying about tonight's match, whatever everybody did on the weekend, just do that again. So the yeah. gazebo's still up. Yeah. I don't take it down in case we're the jinx, it's still up. Well, you know, I interviewed Paul Mortimer last week, who's a former footballer, who played for Charlton and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and Aston Villa and things. And I recorded a podcast on the day of the, the last match. So I've had to record a podcast today as well. So, it's, uh, so yes. it is luck. We're okay. We're staying with okay. it. Good, good. <laughs> well, Kirsten, we best know you as a TV presenter. Had you always wanted to be a TV presenter? And how did you study to be in journalism and things like that? Not journalism. I literally watched, I don't know whether you remember, Why Don't You? Yes. Which was yeah, yeah. a kid's show. It was on in the summer holidays. My memory of it is it was always, we kids there from Belfast. Well, why don't you do this? It's great. And they've got these really weird dirty accents. And I'd be like, who are these kids talking like this? Sorry for any people from Belfast for that. You can do it brilliantly. Obviously, you can be able to do that accent. So I was mesmerised and thinking, well, how do these kids get this gig? How do they get on telly? Um, so always wanted to. So my version of that was our oven was at head height. And so it had a reflection. So yeah. I would bake and talk into, I mean, actually I was preparing for many, many Zoom calls. Yes. Many years later. <laughs> it's a similar scenario now, isn't it? Um, so I used to bake and talk into the thing and pretend I was on Why Don't You? And so it's very strange. I'm quite unusual, I think, in the fact that 
I knew what I wanted to do as a kid and I never wavered off that. Yeah. Getting around to saying it as a kid in Middlesbrough who obviously didn't know anyone else that did telly and actually being able to go, I want to be a kid's telly presenter, that took me till I got to university before I accident, actually felt confident enough to say. And by that point, I was on a media degree. Yeah. So um, everything I did, I did, I did all your classics. I did, you know, Amdram locally. I did hospital radio locally, which I was excruciatingly awful at. <laughs> um, I did my media degree. I started at Time Tees locally. And from there, somebody knew someone that worked at the Beeb and showed, they actually showed me around the broom cupboard. Wow. And I just, you know, I went, there was a fireman's pole. I slid down that and then. I made my show reel and sent it off and and then I got an audition and after that I was like it couldn't have gone any better it's out of my hands now so it was just a very focused approach but the flip side of that is when you achieve it you suddenly at 26 was it no 24 you suddenly go what am I going to do next all I wanted <laughs> my entire life is that I don't have a plan b yeah. <laughs> so I've had to try and cling on for the next 30 years in some shape or form to the only thing I know how to do. I'm still here hanging on. <laughs> you mentioned then that you, you studied the in, in a media degree. Was it not competitive there? Was it not everybody trying to push out the way to be the presenter? Or? No. And in fact, I just was speaking to someone about this this morning because I've just had my appraisal at the BBC and we got onto this, that back in the day, and this was 1990 at Birmingham Poly, there were 50 people on this course and there were 250 applicants for every place because media studies back then wasn't the thing that it became. Yeah. And in fact, in my first year, we had to do a third of a politics degree as well because they didn't have full funding for the right. media part of it. So 50 people on this course, two of us wanted to present back then. Really? It was only me and someone you may have heard of called Margarita Taylor. Right. Who- is a DJ. She's done electric circus. She's done loads of telly. I think she's on um, Country File now. Yeah. Um, which now I think probably it's forty-eight people want to present and two people going. I'd like to do the technical stuff behind <laughs> the screen. <laughs> That's crazy. Then so, so yeah, I'm trying to think of that. Must have only worked in your favour. Or, or, oh, I was in everybody's short film. <laughs> I was on the breakfast show when we had to run the radio station for a week. Yes. That's fantastic. That, that's crazy because I best know you from from um, from Smart and Smartinis and things like that. So how when you say that you got to show around the broom cupboard and th- cupboard and things like that, how long before you started? Did you apply? Had people come to you, or how did Smart come no, about? I bought fifty VHS tapes. I bought a job lot of fifty because I was working at Time Tees at the time, yeah. and then didn't, I why didn't, didn't you come... just nick them? Just nick them from Time Tees. <laughs> Could have. Oh man. Uh yeah, got these boxer tapes, still got a few left over now. And um I, it was a combination of I used to um lock the cameras off on the night and do me reading the the news or the weather. So it was bits and bobs of that. And then I was lucky enough, time tease, I did um uh, a science show um and I had a load of outtakes from um uh, an experiment that had gone wrong we were trying to show the air has a weight by balancing balloons and they kept bursting and <laughs> so I intercut it all with that so you could see personality wise how I reacted in a situation yeah and then I just sent them to Blue Peter 
to the head of presentation, to this, 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 or anywhere I could think. And it's quite nice because somewhere I've got a file of people rejecting me over <laughs> and over, like probably 48 times. Um, but then Paul Smith at the BBC said, come in and have this audition. And as I say, I went in and at the time I was working on the news and I was a news PA and your yeah. job, it's quite... Um, a manic job you're basically counting backwards in 60s for half an hour yeah you know because you're doing all the math and so they put me on my cbbc audition they put an earpiece in me and they were saying you know talk for 20 seconds well i was used to that every night on the the, the maths bit i could do and that's yeah. usually where people come unstuck that mm. bit because the or they'll say the classic on an audition so if you're thinking of having one out there if you're listening to this uh, they'll say oh um the next item isn't there can you fill for a minute now if you've ever tried in your life to talk for a minute it is a hellishly long time yeah time yourself try it at home um but i was used to that i knew what a minute was so i could take all my counts so that bit didn't phase me at all so as i say it was i remember going home and saying to my mom I've done everything I can. And then about two weeks later, Paul Smith rang me up and said, thank you very much for coming in. We're wondering if you'd like to come in and do that permanently. And I was like, ah! <laughs> absolutely. It was my X factor moment. So, um, yeah. It, it is funny you mention about with the, the earpieces and stuff, because we see it on, I say normal people in inverted commas, when you see, like when you watch The Apprentice and they have to go on to like, a, they have to sell their product on a QVC style show and you just see them go blank. They have this cold face that go, yeah. someone's, um, to, and then the instant is they start fiddling with it in their ear and you go, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't do that. Yeah. Well, the minute they talk to in the ear, they stop what they're saying to yeah. listen, which isn't the idea at all. Yeah, it's an unusual skill to have, to have someone talking in your ear whilst you're talking and to talk to time. But that's the elements of live telly, really. Yeah, absolutely. And it's only a, it's a practice base. You can't have that sort of experience anyway, unless you're doing it constantly, as, yeah. as, as you have, because you're absolutely right. You can have people talking in your ear and then suddenly you hear it on radio presenters all the time where they go, and you can call us on 0191... Two, four, six, eight, eight, <laughs> nine. And that's the number there. Right, okay, now I've got the information. Can we get <laughs> on? And you yeah. go, ah, they're slowing down here. They're, they're not used to yeah. someone shouting at them. <laughs> See, I always say on radio, now not so much these days, but when I first started on BBC Berkshire, it was the first time I'd driven the desk. I'd learned to do it myself. Never before on radio had I driven my own desk. And I always used to go into it and say to the girls, the producers, if at any point I start telling you what's in the newspapers, you know I have no idea what I'm doing. And this is pre-COVID times. Can somebody come in, press some buttons or write something down to tell me what I'm supposed to do? So not so much now, but in the past, if you've heard me doing the papers, it's because like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> so how old were you when you went on to Smart? On to Smart? Oh, you're asking me now. So I think 99 uh, was smart. Yes, yeah, so I was in the broom cupboard 96 to 99. Uh, and I'm 72. So 82, <laughs> 9, 27. Is that? Does that matter? Yes, oh, yeah, 27. 27? Yeah, yeah. 
27. There you go. Here we go. I had a bit of a cold sweat then when you said you were 72. I thought, what? I don't, I don't <laughs> think. I, I, that's when the maths goes in my head. I'm going, right, okay, I'm not as quick at maths as Kirsten is. <laughs> well, I always think, thank goodness I don't lie about my age, because imagine the mess if you were trying to, oh, God, hang on, do I have to go forward a few years or back a few years? <laughs> that would be hideous. <laughs> so 27, you got smart. And were you working with uh, Mark Spate from, from the off? Yes. So at that, so it had been initially Zoe Ball. Mm -hmm. Then I took over from Josie Darby, who had come from presentation as well. So it was very much the route was from uh, presentation, which is what they called the people in between the links, the broom cupboard lot. Um, and so at that point, it was me and Jay Burridge and Mark. Yes. Yeah, that must have been crazy because I, I loved Smart. I absolutely adored it. I really, really did. And I used to get frustrated, though, because I'm not an arty person whatsoever. I can do voices, can't draw, can't make things in any way, shape or form. <laughs> a mutual friend of ours, Alfie Joey, is exceptional at art. He's a very, very good artist, and I'm very envious of him. Had you had any background in art whatsoever? Yeah, so I have always been uh, crafty. I've had, like, I had a little craft barrow at our local uh, shopping centre where I'd made bits and bobs. I was forever making brooches i'm less of a fine artist i can copy things yeah so if you show me an image and you want me to copy it i'm fine but i can't naturally um do a composition or anything um but so i sort of took that niche in smart of the of the making person but of course the interesting thing is it's telly and so again we're back to the you're being given a count in your ear you're being told your arms in the way in the shot there Kirsten can you just move that and the other thing that I hadn't expected is there was what's called a rostrum camera so the camera above you mm -hmm. so whereas you would naturally lean in and draw like this you can't because your head then blocks the whole <laughs> shot you have to do everything at an odd position and then when you're doing stuff to camera sometimes if it's the front camera you're doing stuff backwards because yeah. you're going, look at that. And so there was a whole new set of skills that I had to learn. And I remember my first ever make was um, an R2-D2. And I've never been back and looked at it, but I know without looking that it's horrific <laughs> because I was trying to draw all the little buttons and areas of art but as I say without getting my head in the shot and round facing forward my hands are funny and it's and I remember thinking at the time everybody thinks this is doctor but they've hired me now at all I, I must hunt that out actually because I, I know it's horrific and that's not me over exaggerating but thankfully I learned pretty quick and and got got myself together <laughs> <laughs> You mentioned just before that you were you're on the broom cupboard doing the doing the bits in between and then you're on smart was smart where people really started sending you bits of fan mail bits of art that they'd done because obviously smart was one of those shows that they advertised to send your pictures in we've got the gallery wall and all these sort of things was smart the time where you started having piles and piles of fan mail coming in. No, I think it CBBC in the broom cupboard, loads of people sent stuff there. And I can remember me and Richard McCourt, Dick of Dick and Dom, yeah. used to stay back late in the office and we'd always be there, like signing our autograph cards. Or anything. It was like, Kiss, Kiss, why is it always you and me? Why have we got so much personal admin? Um, and I think we were just the most diligent at sitting there. And if you'd sent us for an autograph card, we'd sit and write it. And so, I remember a bit of advice I got at that time was I think I'd said something like 
oh, look at my big nose or something. And I remember one of the producers saying to me, do not flag up anything like that because all you will get for the rest of your kid's telly career is kids drawing pictures of you with a massive nose. Don't say anything is like untoward. or And so it was like quite a good lesson because can you imagine if I haven't got a big nose, but if the kids latch onto that and, they, and here's another picture of me with, oh, I've got a massive nose. <laughs> So that was quite good advice at the time. <laughs> well, after Smart, you were doing, uh, there was the spin-off with Smartinis as well. And I know you said because you were you were quite young doing Smart, you felt a bit uncomfortable doing Smartinis. Is that right? Yeah. Well, Smart was, you know, take out the swearing, obviously, that I do in real life and any adult references. And it wasn't beyond the realms of my natural personality. Yeah. But when you start doing preschool stuff, which I'd never done, and in fact, that was the first dedicated preschool channel. It was for CBeebies. Yeah. I suddenly, that that is another skill set. And I just wasn't comfortable at that. Literally coming down to that level. And yeah. now we're going to sing. And, and, and I was like, no, I'm actually much more comfortable at the older level where you yourself and you're a lot more honest with the audience. And so there was just something I found out about myself, about where I pitch myself, really. Yeah. Do you think you'd be able to do the, the CBB style better now that you're a mum? Possibly, yes, actually. Yeah, because I think I possibly will have been trying to over-twee things <laughs> at the time with no knowledge of kids. And actually now, particularly I've got three-year-old twins right now, um, I yeah, I possibly could do that. And it's funny because sometimes, because my kids have no interest. You know, my dad's tried to show Fox, my son, my nine-year-old, me on telly, and they're all like, yeah, whatever, is she on YouTube? No, off we go, <laughs> something else. Um so you wonder if I was actually doing anything on telly now, they probably wouldn't be phased, actually. I was going to say it might be quite nice for them, but actually, thinking about it, they probably wouldn't be bothered either. <laughs> <laughs> well, you went from from smart with uh, Mark Spate in the double act, and you, you went to uh, hosting CBBC as well, and you were with Otis the Aardvark. So you went from one double act to another, and Otis, uh, I believe it was Dave Chapman, the guy that was the, yeah. was the puppeteer, um, I distinctly remember times where you were in tears working with Dave. Was it just a brilliant time working with Otis? Yes, because it was live. So what we would do is we would have a sequence and we would rehearse and you had certain points to hit. You know, we're going to set a question list. These are the prizes. So you need to rehearse for the cameramen to get their shots and blah, blah, blah. And then quite often Dave and I would go, yeah, but it won't be like that when it's live. <laughs> and I remember one particular instance where there was a relatively new director came in and just hearing her in my ear saying, no idea where we are. I'm just cutting cameras. <laughs> Absolute panic. Um, so we just had a ball with it and, and they were quite free with us. I think Philip Schofield always talks about the fact that that was one of his best gigs as well, because you could just mock about. And Dave is incredible. Um, you know, he would write so much of the material for Otis, for Sister Otis. Uh, there was uh, Noodle Girl and Spaghetti Boy, was it? You know, he would come up with all of this incredible stuff. And he's gone on. I need to big him up because he's gone on to incredible things. He came round, well, he hasn't been round, obviously, since COVID, but he's, um, ah, who's that round ball in um, in Star Wars? Who's that funny little orange round ball-y thing? 
Do you know your Star Wars stuff? I'm, I'm, I don't, actually. I'm not a big Star Wars fan, but I think I know what you mean. The... Like you, you feel, you feel. You feel. Oh well, it's the um. Is... <laughs> but yes, uh, you can call us on o one nine one. So yeah, you said he's gone on to do Star Wars because I spoke with um. Oh, that th- now I'm thinking um, the guy that does Hacker the Dog, Phil um, Phil Fletcher. Oh yes, and. Yeah. He says it's great working being being the puppeteer because you you can get away with anything. He goes because it's not you. He goes it's a puppet scene. You can't get angry at a puppet. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I know what you mean. Yes, I don't know what it's called, but I yes, I, I know what, I know what you mean. <laughs> the, the orange ball yeah. thing, right? <laughs> the orange ball thing. It's the orange ball thing on Star Wars. <laughs> the, the the funny thing about because the puppeteer quite often lies on. I mean, Dave used to literally lie on a skateboard. Yeah. out of shot in puppeteer and i remember we had one of the first um interviews with the spice girls when they had wow. been put together and they'd been bigged up you know so much and they came on and we did this interview and you're always terrified because all the pluggers are there and the management and blah 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 and dave just sort of lifted up off his skateboard after we'd done the interview and he went yeah i had a good look they're not all that <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, at what point had you transferred from children's TV to to presenting daytime TV and in evening TV and things like, but becoming a, a TV presenter rather than just a children's presenter? Um. So I left. I left the broom cupboard in '99, and then I left. I can't, I can't remember. I, I basically left kids' telly when Mark died. Yeah. Because um, I did one, we were in production with one series of Smart, which they paused, obviously. And then we went on to do with Friends of the Show, kind of um, bolstering me, which was very lovely, Barney and Abs and people that are all friends of mine still. Um, but yeah. it just didn't feel right. And that felt like sort of the end for me then. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the meantime, I'd started doing stand-up. So, and the thing I liked about stand-up is and you'll know this, it's very um, pure in that you can't fast track it. The only way to get good at it is to do it. You have to have that education in it. And that appealed to me because at the time, Big Brother was on and people were sitting in a house on the backside for 12 weeks and, oh, look, they're doing the fashion slot on GMTV. And it was really frustrating me. And I thought, well, at least in stand-up, I can learn a craft. It's very do or die. You have to get good at it or you're out, really. And that really appealed to me. So I'd started doing that. Um, and then I'd started being approached by production companies. It was all, uh, they all wanted to make author documentary stuff. And loads of people were going, what have you got? What have you got? And I was like, I've got now, I've got now. And then I sat down and thought, what have I got? And I came up with this idea of everybody else I knew had left kids' telly by doing a Lads Mag photo shoot. <laughs> You know, they'd done a GQ, they'd done something that suddenly goes, look, I've got boobs after all, I'm a woman, oh, come and do adult telly. That seemed to be this weird. And so I did a whole documentary on that about why does that happen and why have I never done it? And that kind of get me, got me into um, BBC Three and loads of documentaries and stuff from there. Yeah, it must have, obviously I, I remember Mark Spate dying and it was a really, really terrible and sad period of time. So was it difficult for you to be, to have this this guy that stood next to you all all this time on smart to then lose him and then have to translate that to children that Mark's 
Mark's unfortunately passed away or did you not have to do that no I did have to do that and I've always in my kids telly I always felt very uh responsible I took my responsibility very serious in terms of uh my responsibility to the audience and so after Mark died and news round had said would I come on and talk about it and of course it's the last thing you feel like doing but I felt that responsibility to the audience that we had to make some effort at explaining what had gone on and in some way that needed to come I understood why that needed to come from me yeah um but it yeah it was it it was not pleasant to do at all because he was a mate you know out of we we socialized we were about to go skiing and stuff you know we were very good pals um so yes it was difficult but I or I mean even now I still have my sort of responsibility head on sometimes you know on the radio I'm going oh you can't give their name and their surname and what school they go to you know that's oh protect the children I've I've still got a really big sense of responsibility to kids really yeah I I, I can't imagine what you went through it must have been absolutely horrendous essentially you lost your you lost your tv husband do you know what I mean that that's Mm -hmm. and it's uh, someone you as you say your friends you're going skiing and stuff and then have to deliver such terrible news in a way that children are going to understand and you're not going to upset them any more than you have to as well it must have been a really difficult thing to do yeah and I think one of the small mercies that I always think now is that social media wasn't what it now is because I think for anybody that has to go through this in this age now with social media and everybody either sometimes wants to come on and say a nice thing to you but there must be so many people in those circumstances now that just wade in and can't stop themselves from being horrendous as we know so I take small mercy in there being no social media back then really yeah so you moved on and you went on to uh BBC three as you say you did some documentaries um had the BBC 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 three sorry I'll put my teeth in became a, a huge documentary show didn't it, it like uh, the channel that just had every documentary you could imagine on it and now it's come off main tv but it's still on iPlayer and things like that uh, had you ever envisioned yourself doing documentaries I think what I like doing is I like talking about people's stories I like spending time with people and finding out what they're about and so that for me was quite a natural progression and and quite a privilege to be able to do Um, and so stuff kept kept coming in in that vein I remember I did um, Britain's Most Embarrassing Parents and on paper it just seems like a bit of a daft show but I I actually remember I went to meet a father and son in Leeds and the dad was a drag queen right son and I remember I mean I'm no word of a lie we turned up on this estate somewhere in Leeds and cars were burning (laughs) it was possibly the roughest place I have ever been and so you imagine how hard in that environment that very working class that all of the things you can imagine come with that that this dad was a a drag queen and the son was so supportive and it was incredible and I went out with the two of them to um, a drag bar and and so some of the stories were just, you know, in, insane that I got to spend time with people doing that. Their, their lives were so extraordinary. So I, I'm really glad and 
hopefully I will do more of that in the future. I've had to take a step back in recent years because I had my nine-year-old and then I had loads of IVF, which took me right off the scene. And then twins on the back of IVF. <laughs> so insanity has in <laughs> My twins start school in September. So um, I'm hoping to sort of start foraying back into stuff again. Not to say I don't love what I do now because I'm on radio every day, but um, it's nice to have that other bit as well. Other shows that you've done are Let's Dance for Sport Relief and Total Wipeout. And Total Wipeout is a show that I think I reckon I could do it. You know, when you've just got that thing in your in your gut oh. where you go, I can do that. I think. <laughs> yeah, I'm a yes person to my detriment. I just will take it. Someone will go, "Do you want to do Total Wipeout?" And I'll go, "Yes." I thought that was like, um, it's a knockout. And I got out yeah. to Argentina where it's filmed. And I was like, where's all the massive penguin suits that we get into? And they were like, have you not seen this? And I was like, no, I've not seen it. What are those big red balls? Where's Frank Bruno? What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> I will literally, they'll turn up place and they'll go, right, so you're going to make the Taj Mahal out of matchsticks. And I'm like, am I? Oh, God. I just don't, I just say yes and then worry about it afterwards. And so I ripped my two thirds of my uh, knee tendon on that show. Yeah, it was really blum and painful. But um, yeah, I just like if an opportunity comes along, I'm having it. Oh, absolutely. But why why is it filmed in Argentina? Well, because of the health and safety, Cal. (laughs) (laughs) Because when it happened, I approached the ambulance on site and sort of knackered my knee and they went, oh, we only have Swiss. (laughs) What? And this is not a real ambulance. And they bungled me in the back of a Nova with Cleo Rockoffs. Like all wedged in the back of this Nova, bouncing off the plate. And off we went to the hospital. Yes, that's the reality, folks. So how did you get back then? Did you get the extra leg room though? That's one perk, I suppose. it was hilarious because it was the first celeb special they'd done. And 20 of us were flown out for two celeb specials. And we came back and the paparazzi were waiting for us. And you had Joe Swash had dislocated his collarbone. (laughs) Cleo and me came off in wheelchairs. Um, Oh, Kevin Adams had done something to himself. I mean, of the 20 of us, it was something ridiculous, like 14 of us had injuries and were, you know, negative <laughs> braces. Or it was, yeah, horrific. So we we got papped when we got off the plane. They were waiting for the horror that was us all coming off this. <laughs> no, they've done any, no, they have. They've done loads of celeb specials since. We were just particularly useless. <laughs> You've done a lot of work for The One Show as well. Now, I like The One Show because I think The One Show, best way to describe it, if people haven't seen The One Show, it's like an adult Blue Peter. That's what it's like. They just, the way that they just jump in between sections of, with no links whatsoever, is just crazy. Go, right, that was the history of dust. Now we're looking, uh, we're going to Giles Bramroth and he's looking at how coins are made. You go, what, how on earth has this happened? You know? (laughs) How did The One Show come about? Uh, how did it come about? And dibbing and out of it, it was initially it was because of a, a producer of mine went on to the show and she asked if I wanted to do some. So just every now and then I seem to do a report for them, which is really lovely. So I never know when I'm going to get the call. And particularly since COVID happened and they've sort of locked down the production um, to only a few people. But it's always, yeah, really fun to do and even funner if you get to go. It's a wee while since I've sat on the sofa because sometimes you get to sit on the sofa and introduce your report. Oh, nice. Yeah, extra little bit to be there. Yeah, it's good fun. <laughs> I think I remember you telling me that you were doing, um, you know, the adverts that they do on, on ITV saying that, oh, you could win £100,000. And you were saying that you were flown all over the place. That in, your whole oh. day would just be in a hot air balloon going, 
or this. Yeah. <laughs> That's all it was. Yeah, that was. I used to do the competitions on um, GMTV. What a gig that was. Oh, wondrous. I think Andy Peters does it now. And yes. fair play to him. Yeah, because you just have to, there's very little to say on the thing. So I did an incredible one in Australia. And it was, you know, you've got the, um, uh, what they call the tourism people taking you around, wanting everything to be absolutely perfect. And then, so you will be like hot air ballooning, but the only bit they'll need, you'll do the whole day of the experience, but the only bit they'll need for the competition is you saying, or in the air like this. And that, <laughs> that's your whole, right, that's a wrap now. We just have the whole day ballooning. Yeah, it was an incredible gig. I love those gigs. I get the Andy Peters number. I need to somehow nobble him. <laughs> Send him on total wipeout. That'll go. That'll yes! sort it. Yes. I pretend to be his agent. Get him booked on that gig, and off we go. <laughs> <laughs> you do a lot of pantomime as well now. Uh, you, I, I believe you did. did, you, no, did no, I don't. Uh, oh yes, you do. Where's our careers? They're behind us. <laughs> so, <it's, laughs> so I, I love doing panto. I think it's great fun uh, because it, it it is what it is. I know there's a lot of people because we're both stand up. We both there's a lot of stand-ups that are a bit hoity tightly a bit snooty about panto because go oh, it's the lowest common denominator. But you kind of go, well, you need to have the mindset to go in and enjoy it for what it is, don't you? Well, I did loads with Brian Blessed, who obviously is at the <laughs> other end of the scale, is a proper, you know, classically trained actor. And yeah. he always used to say he loved doing panto because it was such a difficult skill engaging with those audiences and getting it right. Yeah. Um, and he, he, I did loads with him. Yeah. I've, since I had kids, I haven't done it because, and you'll know this, if you're in Panta, you only have your Christmas day off and then your new year's day and the rest of the time, twice a day, quite often three times a day, yeah. these days you're um you're trotting out that show and obviously with kids you only get so many Christmases when they're little. Yeah. So I haven't done any. I, I always, quite planned to go back and in fact I was thinking because I used to be Peter Pan and yeah. then I, I was always the boy and then the last one I did I was Cinderella I got to be a girl finally <laughs> I'm thinking now if I go back sort of 10 years on or whatever I'll be just like instant straight to um Wicked Queen or something <laughs> I've gone from leading boy to craggy old loser that's on for 10 minutes and then at the song sheet at the end <laughs> and you'd just be finding green face paint on you for for weeks yeah. afterwards yeah, exactly. oh. you mentioned before you do uh, stand up you took your show confessions of a children's presenter is that right to the fringe yes so i did i did a, it was funny because i did a stand-up course and then at the end of it, so that's all I'd ever done, sort of a summer of stand-up course. This The lady that runs it, who you will probably know, Hills J. Go, yes. came up and, and said, uh, do you four women fancy coming up? I'll take you up. And so from nowhere, I did my first Edinburgh wow. that summer, um, four of us. Um, it was Ruth Bratt, uh, Abigail Burdess, me and Lana Citron, who is a writer, um, and so that was an absolute baptism of fire. I would compare those three would do their very different shtick between the three of them. And we were in a drippy cave in Edinburgh, but I absolutely loved it. Got the bug. Went back the next year with Ruth. We did um, a sketch show together. And I really feel like I've had both ends of the Edinburgh experience because my first two were pleading with people in the street. Quite often there were fewer people in the audience than there were on stage. Yeah. And then I, when I did my one woman show, 
obviously there was media interest in that so I went on Loose Women and things to promote it and it was on I had a nice sort of afternoon slot and the whole run sold out yeah and so I had the other end of the it wasn't to like massive critical acclaim but it was a nice show it was Confessions of a Kids Presenter I had a lovely old time whereas Ruth and I would sit on the year we were doing the sketch show and we would literally be eating chips and weeping in our flat going, oh <laughs> this is so hard so I feel again like in that you know as a comedian you have to have the full experience I've definitely experienced all ends of what it's like <laughs> to try and be up at Edinburgh well the fringe is amazing isn't it it's the biggest arts festival in the world and although it's in the middle of summer it rains all the time oh, and you just get yeah. soaked and then the th- I don't know how they managed to work it where it'll absolutely chuck down and then it goes beautiful sunshine and then every room's either too hot too cold <laughs> i don't yeah. know who organizes the uh, the rooms where they go yeah this room's unplayable we'll put a show in here let's uh, <laughs> that's all we do <laughs> that curtain that thin curtain that'll stop noise bleed yeah we'll do that yeah. yeah and you can always hear people in the shows next door having far more fun than in your show which just makes it all the worse <laughs> uh, no it's addictive once you start going and I've really missed it actually the last couple of years because even with the kids, I have managed to sneak up by myself yeah. in years gone by since we've had the kids and just kind of stay on a mate's floor or whatever because I just couldn't not go. It's yeah. once it's in your blood, the festival, it just it never leaves you really. Um, and so I've snuck up and you know, came like six shows a day. <laughs> and I see so much stand up on a spreadsheet, everything on a spreadsheet, yeah, totally, China. <laughs> yeah. How quickly can I get from this end of town to that end of town and all of that? I just love it and I've really missed it. And yeah, roll on it coming back. You've been working on your podcast uh, over recent months and stuff. Tell me a bit about that. Yeah, so it's called 16 Summers. I am about to do the 10th episode, uh, record with Gail Porter, hopefully. Fantastic. Um, And it's based on the fact that my childhood, I grew up all over the world, and I feel like I had this incredible childhood. And then the childhood that my kids are having, although very lovely in leafy Berkshire, isn't a patch on my swimming pools and water skiing and all this stuff that I had as a kid. And so it got me thinking about, who had the better childhood and I think I had a way better childhood than my kids did unless I pull some incredible extravaganza out of the bag that isn't going to change well they've got a gazebo I don't know what more they <laughs> want do you know <laughs> exactly so the notion is would you rather have the childhood you had or the childhood you're giving to your kids it's that simple question and it's a chance to chat nostalgia uh, I've found quite often people keep saying to me, I never told anyone this before. I've never, I mean, Steve Backshall ended up telling me about some extraordinary story where he went on holiday. Some friends, in inverted commas of his, stole their family car when they were on holiday and then he got the blame somehow. <laughs> you know, like crazy stories from people's past that they suddenly remember. So it's been really interesting. Uh, and that I'm going to take a summer break and then come back in September. But um, yeah, it's been really good fun to do. I'm really enjoying it. And that's one of the positives of the pandemic that I I had this idea before all of this happened and I was thinking, oh God, how am I going to, where am I going to go to a studio? How much is that going to cost me? And now here we all are, you know, it's perfectly reasonable. You can ask anyone to hop on the computer and have a chat and away you go. So it's been a real positive. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So where can we get the podcast at all standard platforms? Yes, all standard platforms. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> all I, good platforms. Tell, I don't really understand the technical side of it, but yes. <laughs> yeah. I've got two more questions for you, Kirsten. What's next for you? 
Well, that's one of the things I like about this gig, that you never know what's coming next. I've got a documentary idea up with a production company in Scotland. We'll see how far that gets. Fantastic. Um, I still, uh, I, I think, come... So the twins start school in September and then I go 50 in February. So everything is culminating towards the biggest crash ever of me just going, (laughs) what am I? Who am I? Where am I supposed to be at this point? I'm not a mother anymore now. Nobody needs me. Uh, It's either going to turn into that or it's going to turn into some sort of heyday of productivity. Absolutely. You just can't tell. It could go either way. It could go either way at this junction. <laughs> uh, do, do a documentary, Nifty at 50. That's what we want. Yes, or it'll document my breakdown. <laughs> I've got one final question for you. Who of go your on. celebrity showbiz friends would you like to see on this podcast? Say again, which one of my celeb friends? Yeah, would you like to see on the pod? Oh, maybe Barney Harwood. Lovely Barney Harwood that used to do Blue Peter. Yeah. Uh, I like, he's always, he's one of those people that has random fingers in pies that you talk to. <laughs> and you're like, where are you? Oh, I'm, I'm on a twin prop helicopter in Berlin shooting an advert for Chanel. Or he, he just has really <laughs> random things happening in his life. Uh, so maybe Barney Harwood, anybody else? Or Steve Batchel, obviously, because of the aforementioned let's get to the bottom of his bullying scenario. <laughs> Stealing cars, that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Kirsten, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. No worries. Nice to speak to you. The Cal Halbert Podcast. And there we go, my friends. That was my chat and chinwag with Kirsten O'Brien. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please give it a big share and tell all your friends about it. And give us a five-star review if you can. That can really help us. You can support the podcast by visiting our Patreon page. All the details are in the in the details bit below. Yeah, anyway. Right. See you next week. I always get that wrong. See you. You'll hear me next week. Ooh. The Cal Halbert Podcast. You've been listening to a Calvert Media production.